I think he looks kind of cool. But anyways, I'm going to uh, read out of the book of uh, Mark, chapter 1. I'm going to get right into the word of the Lord. I appreciate Brother Grant and this opportunity to minister again to you. I hold it not lightly. And in prayer, I um, could not escape the same word that I uh, was on my mind on Wednesday. And so if you were here on Wednesday, you'll get a little bit of what I taught uh, on Wednesday. And so there are some some meals that just taste better after they sit for a little while. Like gumbo, for instance. If you ever had gumbo, you don't eat it as soon as it's done. You let it sit for a couple days. Gumbo is best several days after. And so I believe that some messages are the same way. And this has been simmering for a little, a little while. And I hope to present it in a better and more refined position this morning. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, shall prepare thy way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and with a girdle of a skirt about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. Last verse, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and you may be seated. Lord, thank you for your word. Help me to minister this morning. I pray it be for somebody. Touch every honest heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Wednesday, I made mention of a movement in Christianity that emphasizes the blessings that come with living for God. And these people in this movement often oversell the product of Christianity, I would say. And they often promise happiness and peace and power and forgiveness and abundant life and fulfillment. And they're afraid to talk about the negatives that come with living for God. When I say negative, I do not mean that living for God is always, is in any way a bad thing. Let me reiterate and say, giving your life to God will improve your life in the here and now, and it will prepare you for the future to come. But that does not mean that there will not be any opposition. We are not exempt from suffering and sickness. I said this on Wednesday, flat tires failed tests, or trivial trials. We are not exempt from these things. To be quite frank with you, opposition will come and needs to come to every child of God. Matthew 10 and 22, the word of the Lord says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Arise to tell you this morning that if people hate you, and if people are making it hard on you, and if people are challenging your faith, you ought to be joyous because you are doing something right. If you are facing opposition of any kind, you ought to rejoice because through that opposition and at the end of that opposition awaits 
your salvation. The race, the Bible says, is not to the swift and is not to the quick. This salvation journey is not meant to be quick, but sometimes it's grueling and sometimes it's grinding and it goes through deserts and it it goes through mountains and it goes through peaks and it goes through valleys. And the one who endures through the wilderness is the one who gets to go into the promised land. Romans 5 and 4, I read in your hearing, and not only so, We glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Let me read the New International Version for you to make it a little bit easier to understand. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. And some of you may not have heard me. I said hope will not disappoint. Your faith will not disappoint you. Your belief in God will not disappoint you. Your suffering is only the beginning. It is not the ending. Let me read the rest of the verse to you. Because the love of God is shed abroad in in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. If you've got the Holy Ghost, if you are a child of His, I want you to know your suffering is only the beginning. It is not your ending. Your suffering is designed to teach you patience, and your patience develops your character, and your character comes from your experience, and your experience brings hope. What kind of experience? The experience that says... If God did it for me before, he'll do it again. I rise to ask you this morning, has God done it before? I ask you again, in case you didn't hear me, has God done it before? If he did it before, he'll do it again. That is what gives me hope. If God healed me before, he'll heal me again. If God brought me out before, he will bring me out again. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and you're still alive, and you made it through your trial because God brought you out. And let me tell you, if God brought you out before, he'll bring you through and out again. Some of you have lost hope this morning, but I want to encourage you. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire cometh, 
it is a tree of life. Some of you have been walking in a wilderness that seems to stretch for miles. I want to encourage you this morning. Keep walking. Your desire will come. Hope will come. Hope will not disappoint. The tree of life is not far off. And God can put a tree of life in the middle of your desert. Amen. This time I want to bring your attention back to my original text. I read to you a man written by the prophets of old. Mark 1 and 3 says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare you the way of the Lord. It is in reference to Isaiah, the 40th chapter, third verse as well, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert, in, in the desert a highway for our God. John is recorded in Exodus. He is prophesied in Malachi. He is described in Isaiah. He is a typology and a persona similar to the prophet Elijah. In my studies, I couldn't help but relate John the Baptist and his ministry to the church today. John is often referred to as the forerunner for Christ. A forerunner is one who comes before, one who precedes the development or coming of something or someone else. And this parallel came to my mind. That as John was the forerunner for the first coming of Christ, the church is the forerunner for the second coming of Christ and the rapture. And I preach to you this morning. The first thing we hear about John the Baptist is that he is a voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. And I preach to you that it is our responsibility and our duty and our mandate for, to, for us to cry out to our generation. This world is a wilderness. It is a typology of a wilderness. And we are to be the voice of him that needs to cry out. Everybody seems to cry out except for the church. Every interest group and political agenda seems to be crying at the top of their lungs while it seems that the church is growing more silent and more timid. Every group and organization has an agenda, and everyone seems to come out of the closet, while we as the church seem to be getting into our closet. Can I tell you, brethren, this ought not to be. It feels me to say that as the voice of secular culture seems to be screaming loud, we as the church need to cry even louder. My job as a youth and a student minister, and the reason Brother Sister Grant assigned me to this position is to do one thing, is to make sure I cry, the, make sure I scream Jesus louder into the voices of our youth than any other voice that might be calling to them. Church, brothers, sisters, saints, mothers, dads, ladies and gentlemen, I challenge us this morning uh, that we ought to cry louder for our families. We ought to cry louder for our church. We ought to cry louder for our community. Proverbs 14 and 8. Uh, 
but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more. Now is not the time to shine less. Now is the time to shine more than we ever have. It's time to give more. It's time to preach more. It's time to reach out more. It's time to cry out more. Isaiah 40 and 6, the voice said, and he said to cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? It's clearly evident to me that to cry out is not to cry something unintelligible. It's not simply to make noise. A lot of people in group cry just to be heard. But we as the church cry out because we have a word. John was not some deranged man. He was not confused. He had he wasn't a man with no rhyme or reason to his madness. But he had a word for this generation. And as a matter of fact, John had two things about him that made him comparable to us. John looked different, and what he consumed was different. Can I read to you Matthew 3 and 4? And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair. Thank you, Brother Matt. You're doing a great job. And a, and a leathern girdle about his loins. And his meat was locusts and wild honey. Church, we need and must Look different. The crowds had no problem pointing to you who John is. And our world ought to have no problem identifying a child of God out of a crowd. Tell you a little bit about an experience I had a few years ago when I was at the mall. I mentioned this on Wednesday. My my wife and one of our young ladies, Sister Felicity actually was in a local mall, and they were walking by one of those booths that was set up in the middle. There were Middle Eastern people there trying to sell a product, and every time we go by, I tell my wife, look like you have a mission, because if you don't, they're going to get you. These guys are sly, sly salesperson. They'll, they'll, sell, they'll sell hair products to somebody who don't even have any hair. Told my wife, he walked, and before I know it, they were caught in a conversation. I said, oh, no. I had to check my bank account, make a transfer just in case a purchase was made. But afterwards, I asked them, well, what all do they want? She said, well, they didn't really offer us anything. They wanted to know if we were Jewish. I said, what? My wife looks nothing like a Jew. Neither does Sister Felicity. But it dawned on me that they were Islamic. And for them to approach my wife and one of our young ladies and ask if they're Jewish, you know what that means? We got it. 
hey, that's the greatest compliment anybody can ever give you uh, is if you look uh, like a Jew uh, because the Jews uh, are the children uh, of God. Uh, and in that moment, uh, God said, you got it. You got it. That's how my church looks. That's how God's people look. Amen. You ought not to look like the world. You ought to look like the children of God. We've got it. We got the look. We've got the dress code right. It's the greatest compliment a child of God can get. Hallelujah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time we stop meshing in with our environment. God did not call us to blend in. He called us not to be camouflaged. But I hear a voice crying in the wilderness. The greatest cry is really not a cry at all. It's nothing that we profess with our mouth. But the greatest cry is what we profess with our lives. And you can't do that looking and acting and dressing like the world around you. God did not call you and I to be a chameleon. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill. We are a city set in the middle of Garth Road on the busiest interchange of traffic we cannot be hid neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it giveth life unto all that are in the house child of God you ought to give light you ought to give direction you ought to give clarity between right and wrong darkness and light they ought to be able to look at you and say that's where God is and that's where I'm going they ought to be able to look at our church and say that's where God is and that's where I'm going my sisters know who to come to when they need prayer my family knows who to reach out to for biblical advice. My co-workers know where the light is. My manager recently just changed my schedule. Brother Grant's been asking me to preach on Wednesday. And I said, I, I, can't, I can't work real late on Wednesday. And she said, you know what? I'll change your schedule. I'll make sure you're able to get to church and teach when you need to. Arise to ask this question in this dark hour and time. Do they know you're the light? Or should they look somewhere else? Woo! Let your light shine before men. Amen. They may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It ain't about me. It's all, it's all about Him. And it's your life preparing the hearts of others towards and for the coming of Christ. Church, I love our standards. I love our modesty of dress and our men and our women because it doesn't say anything about us. It says everything about Him. It's the greatest compliment you can get is when somebody says you look like Him, you talk like Him, you dress like Him, holiness on the inside, working on the outside.
Woo! My God, have mercy. John not only looked different, but his diet and his consumption was different. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, all things, Paul says, are lawful. But not everything is expedient. All things are lawful. But I will not be brought under the power of any. All things, let me read the NIV version, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. But I will be not, not be brought under the power of any. Can I rise to tell you what you consume, you will be brought under. There's a fad that's called binge watching. We'll talk about that a little bit. Where people sit in front of a screen. For hours on end, on their Hulu account, on their Netflix account, watching their favorite shows, hours on end. And they wonder why they can't hear from God. And they wonder why they can't feel His presence. And they forget that, sometimes they forget they even need to use the restroom or eat something. Sit and binge watch Game of Thrones. My God. And when you finally get through and have pressure ulcer, you think there's dragons flying around outside your house. There is a dragon. He's called the devil. And he plays for keeps. And if he can bring you under his power, he's got you. But as a child of God, I refuse to be brought under the power and the influence of the devil. But there's only one who I salute to. There's only one who I am under, the captain of my soul, and that is Jesus Christ, and we belong to him. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both of them. Now the body is not for for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The devil can't have your body. You belong to God. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. I read the NIV version because I love what it says here. We, we read, and, and the light shines in darkness. And the darkness comprehends it, comprehends it not. But the NIV says this. The light shines in darkness. And the darkness has not been able to overcome. I don't know what the devil's been whispering in your ear. But he can't put your light out. He can't overcome you. His darkness can never overcome a light of a child of God. Amen. He would have to alter the word of God that is forever settled in heaven. He's been trying to overcome you. He's been trying to overcome the church. But let me tell you, he can't. And the more he silences us, the louder we cry. And the more he tries to snuff out your light, the brighter you shine. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that all through him might believe. I want to testify to somebody this morning who's sitting in darkness. There's a light coming. I said there's a light coming. Amen. I feel this so strongly in the Holy Ghost. Matthew 4 and 16, the people which sat in the darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has sprung up. Someone on the sound of my voice have sat in darkness for a long time. But I speak under the unction of the Holy Ghost. There is a light coming. There is a light coming. The shadow of death will have to flee. There is a light coming, and it will change your life. That leads me to my final point. Mark chapter 1, verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. John had one sermon. He had one word for his generation. Being the forerunner for the first coming of Christ, he preached repentance and baptism. And that there is a baptism of the Holy Ghost that's coming who will baptize you with fire. And when he does, you will forever be and the church as a typology and imagery of John and as forerunners for Christ, we ought to preach the same thing and preach it well. And guess what? We've got it. I say we've got it. Amen. We preach it and we believe it. And we believe that the plan of salvation for any man and woman is that they must repent of their sins. And they must be buried in a watery grave known as baptism. And when they do that, their sins will forever be washed away. I don't know who you are this morning. And you're looking for light. And you're looking for a change. Let me tell you, we've got it. And if you repent... And if you ask God to forgive you, He will forgive you and He will wash away your past and He'll make you brand new all over again. He will change you and He will fill you with His Spirit. And when He does, you'll forever be changed and the light will now shine in the valley of the shadow of death. Woo! I close with this. You can all stand this morning. I close with this. Shortly after Jesus Christ showed up to John and John baptized him, John was thrown into prison. You read the story, it's very uneasy. He got a little bold and he told King Herod, <coughs> Herod, that was not. He could not marry his sister-in-law. He didn't like that. And Herodias, who was the sister-in-law, wanted him tossed in prison. And there's a great parallel between Elijah and John. 
Elijah's life was sought after Jezebel, a king's wife. And John's life was sought after Herodias, a king's wife. And John was tossed into prison and for two years. History records and Josephus in his writing says, for two years he didn't hear anything from, from Jesus. No phone call, no text message, no messenger to say hi, the forerunner and the cousin of Jesus in prison and soon to die and Jesus does nothing. Luke chapter 7 verse 18 to 20. And the disciples of John showed him all these things. John calling unto him two of his disciples sent them to Jesus saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? Anybody ever ask that question? Anybody ever doubt? It seems like God is not answering. And you're in your prison. And you wonder if it's him that's to come. When, he, when the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or should we look for another? And John just had to know that before he was going to be beheaded, and before he was going to die, if Jesus was really the Messiah. And God was healing everybody else. And God was touching everybody else. But he hadn't said a word to me. And I'm still in my prison. And I'm still struggling. And I'm still hurting. And Jesus answers John with this. He quotes to John an Old Testament scripture that only he would know and could relate to. Ask the forerunner. Verse 21, and in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto them that were blind he gave sight. <clears throat> then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And when John sought proof, if Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus offered him evidence of changed lives. And Jesus changes lives. And he's still changing lives today. I am a standing testimony of somebody who sat in darkness, but a great light was shined unto me. And when Jesus gets a hold of you, it's not just small change, but it is visible change. Somebody ready for visible change this morning? I want you to know that the answer to if Jesus is the Messiah lies in his ability to change lives. And he has changed my life. And there are people under the sound of my voice that are doubting if he's the Messiah. Can I get a hand raised of everybody whose lives he has changed? I want you to look around. He is the Messiah. You're still here this morning. You're still here this morning because he changed you. He healed you. 
He brought you out. You were never the same. And God is still changing lives right now. Somebody has been in a prison for a long time. I ask, are you ready for that to be changed? Somebody's been hurting for a long time. I'm asking, are you ready for that to be changed? Somebody needs deliverance, and and God hasn't responded. But God's sending me to tell you, are you ready for that to change? Here's the revelation of John. God never changed his circumstance, but he changed him. And sometimes God will not change your circumstance because it is through your circumstance that he uses to change you. And if God is changing me, then let everything stay the same. If God is changing me, then he's accomplishing his purpose because my goal in life is to be like one person and that is Jesus Christ to be in his image. The title of my message this morning and I tell you now, are you ready for a change? If you're ready, come up to the front. Let me pray for you. Our church will pray for you. Why don't why don't we all why don't we all gather? Because I don't like just isolating somebody out. If you come up at the front, it makes it easier. Jesus changes lives. It's not a small change. It's not a temporary change. But the Bible says it's visible. It's lasting. And it's forever. And you'll forever be a new creature in Christ. Are you ready for him to change your circumstance? Are you ready for him to change your situation? Are you ready for him to change your body, your mind, your health? He's here to do that. Thank you, Lord, as they sing. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. Jesus, the most beautiful.